my daddy had a saying. You're up to your behind in alligators and you're worried about draining the swamp. That was my daddy's way of saying your priorities are a little out of order. You're concerned about the wrong things. The issue I want to talk about this morning is this. What should you be most concerned about? See, when things that should be of lesser concern become matters of greater concern, you end up focusing all your time and your energy and your resources in the wrong place. Are you with me? When you make what should be a low priority, when you make that a high priority, then you're giving yourself to the wrong things. The things that should be most important are being neglected, while the things that shouldn't be as high a priority you seem to be giving yourself to. You end up neglecting what matters most. It's like a man whose house lies in the path of a coming hurricane. But instead of securing his property and getting adequate supplies, he's outside cutting the grass. Priorities are just a little out of order. Concerned about things that shouldn't be of much concern at the moment. So the question is, what should you be most concerned about? Well, as a Christian, you should be most concerned about what Jesus is most concerned about. In the scripture we're going to look at this morning, we'll find out what that is. Mark chapter 8, this morning, verses 11 through 21. Mark 8, 11 through 21. Jesus has just finished feeding 4,000 Gentiles. We looked at this last Sunday. Seven loaves and a few small fish. Miraculously, Jesus feeds thousands, thousands of people. Now, we see the Jewish religious leaders come back into the picture. The Pharisees. Now they show up again. As always, they're not coming to support Jesus. They're not coming to seek the truth. They're coming in opposition to Him. They're seeking to oppose Him. Now, it's a brief interaction with the Pharisees. It covers verses 11 and 12. And after this brief interaction, what we see is Jesus has a discussion with His disciples. In that discussion, we're able to see what it is that Jesus is most concerned about. Please stand and let me read the Scripture for us this morning. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them. And entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, 
Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes see ye not? Having ears hear ye not? Do ye not remember? When I broke the five loaves among the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They saith unto him, Twelve. When the seven among the four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said to them, How is it that you do not understand? Let's pray. Our God, we plead with you again. Open to us your word. And open us to your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. These verses teach us one very simple truth. You ready? Jesus is more concerned about your faith than He is your food. Jesus is more concerned about your faith than He is your physical needs. He's more concerned about your spiritual condition than He is your physical condition. That's the clear message that comes through in these verses. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't care if you have food or clothing or shelter. The message that Jesus is trying to convey to His disciples in this story is this. Focus on your faith and I'll meet your needs. You should be more concerned with your faith than you are your everyday physical needs. If you'll focus on your faith, I'll take care of your needs. I am well able to meet whatever needs you have. What you need to be concerned about is your faith. Now that's clearly what he teaches in these verses. I want us to look at these verses First of all, I want you to see in verses 11 through 15, we see Jesus' concern for your faith. Jesus' concern for your faith. Now, the first thing I want to point out here is the condition he wants you to avoid. Okay? There's a condition Jesus does not want you to find yourself in. And it's the condition the Pharisees are in in verses 11 through 13. It says, they came forth and began to question him. It actually means to dispute or to debate or to argue. In other words, they're not coming seeking information. They're not coming in search of the truth. Their aim here is to enter into a debate with him. Their goal is to discredit him in the eyes of the people. That's why it says they were seeking a sign tempting him. Some versions say testing him. In other words, they're trying to trap him. They hadn't come for an honest dialogue or honest discussion. They're hostile to Jesus and they're trying to discredit him. What they're trying to do is validate their own unbelief. 
So they come, it says, seeking a sign. They're not open to being convinced about the truth. It's strictly trying to trap Jesus and discredit him. Now I want you to notice it says they were seeking a sign from heaven. Literally, in the language of the New Testament, it says they were seeking a sign from the heaven, from the heaven. And it means, specifically, he's talking about the dwelling place of God. Not just the atmosphere above us, but the heaven where God himself is. In other words, they're seeking a sign from God. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, well, he's already done many miracles. No, you see, they want something much more spectacular than that. They're challenging Jesus to do something that nobody could deny. See, what they were assuming is, if they challenged him to do something really spectacular, they're assuming that he would fail, and that would give them an excuse for ignoring all the evidence he'd already presented, that he was the Christ. Oh, he'd already done plenty of miracles. They're looking for a way to be able to ignore that evidence. They're looking for a reason to dismiss it all. So they figure, look, if we challenge him to do something really big and he's not able to do it, then that'll give us a reason for not believing him. You might think of a couple of Old Testament miracles that might be examples of what they want him to do. You remember in 1 Kings 18, verse 38, Elijah calls down fire from heaven and it consumes the altar, Right? On Mount Carmel, that might be the kind of thing they were thinking about. Or, or maybe in Isaiah 38, God gives a sign to King Hezekiah on the stairway. The shadow had already descended, and God makes the shadow go backwards up the stairway ten steps. Something like that. Something remarkably unbelievable as if what they'd seen already wasn't remarkable enough. The feedings and the healings and the casting out demons. Now they said, look, look, if you want to really prove yourself, then you just do something way out of the ordinary, something that clearly is from God in heaven. They're assuming he would fail, and they would have reason for not believing. Imagine this is what they're doing. Picture this a liberal reporter questioning a conservative politician in front of a crowd of feminists. You got it? And the liberal reporter asks this conservative politician, okay, what's your stance on abortion? She already knows his stance on abortion. He's very conservative. So why is she asking him what his stance on abortion is? She's not looking for information. She's trying to turn the crowd against him. She knows as soon as he said he's against abortion that this crowd of people they're watching is going to turn against him. You see? That's what she's trying to do. She's trying to discredit him in the eyes of the people. That's exactly what the Pharisees are doing to Jesus. They're trying to discredit him. They're trying to turn the people away from him back to themselves. Validate their own unbelief. And you'll see what it says. Verse 12, He sighed deeply in his spirit. This is a sigh of distress. 
Jesus was distressed because in light of so much evidence, the people had already seen unbelief persisted. Despite all he'd done and all he said, despite overwhelming evidence, that was more than enough reason for anybody to believe. Despite all of that, their hearts were yet hard. And it just distressed him down in his soul. Notice what he said in verse 12. Why does this generation seek after a sign? This generation, who is that? That's the Jewish people of Jesus' day, the vast majority of which rejected Jesus. Why do these people seek a sign? And he says no sign will be given to them. Now you could argue they'd already been given many signs, and they had. But what does Jesus mean when he says no sign will be given? Here's what he means. Jesus was not going to remove their skepticism and authenticate His authority by some large-scale show of power beyond what He'd already done. They had sufficient evidence already to be moved to repentance and faith. They had sufficient evidence already to see clearly that the kingdom of God had come in the person of Jesus. All they were looking for was an excuse to reject the evidence that they'd already been given. They weren't open to being convinced. And Jesus said, I'm not going to play your game. Notice what it says in verse 13. And He left them. This is more than just telling us that Jesus physically departed from the Pharisees. Listen to what one Bible commentator wrote. This is Jesus' deliberate disengagement from the discussion with the Pharisees and with the generation they represent. What does that mean? This is what it means. Jesus was done with them. When, when Mark says, He left them. He, wasn't, he did mean physically, but He also meant literally he was done with them. If they cannot accept what they had already seen and heard, there was no point in any further demonstration of power. They have missed their opportunity. Listen to me. Jesus' greatest concern for you is that you would not allow your heart to grow hard like these Pharisees. That's why the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, said this, We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Think about that. We must pay, must, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. Why would he warn us about drifting away from the truth? Because it's possible for you to drift away from the truth. If it were not possible, he wouldn't have warned you about it. And Jesus is saying to us, 
But this is the concern. That we not get to the place where our hearts are hardened to the truth of who He is. That we don't drift away. I want you to think about something. Our society, even our community, is filled with people who have abandoned the faith that they grew up with. You know people that grew up in church that are no longer in church. Who grew up coming to church and hearing about Jesus, but now have basically nothing to do with the church. You know those people. You probably have some in your family. That's what Jesus is concerned about. That's the concern. So how do you keep this from happening? Well, in verses 14 and 15, Jesus gives His disciples some important orders. So we see uh, the condition He wants you to avoid. The next thing I want you to see is the orders He gives you to obey. In verse 14, Mark tells us the disciples didn't think to bring any of that leftover bread. Remember they had seven large baskets of bread left over. Well, apparently they didn't bring any in the ship. All they had is one loaf of bread. And that sets up the conversation that follows. Verse 15. Jesus charged His disciples saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. He charged them. It means to give orders. It means to command. He commanded them to take heed, to beware. Both of those are imperatives. That means He's commanding them to, to be on the lookout. Be careful. Be aware of a certain danger. Now what He says is there to beware of is the Leaven of the Pharisees of inherited. Leaven, of course, is yeast. And what it represents in the Bible is influence. Just a small amount of yeast in a batch of dough will cause the whole dough to rise. It doesn't take but a little. And so Jesus is talking about the influence of these Jewish religious leaders who have rejected Jesus. The influence of Herod. Now, the one thing the Pharisees and Herod both have in common is their unbelief and opposition to Jesus. You see, the Pharisees don't like Jesus because He exposes their hypocrisy. He exposes their misuse of Scripture. They would never acknowledge Him as the Christ and Messiah. It was never going to happen. Herod, his fear is Roman retaliation. You see, Herod considered himself the king of the Jews. If Jesus were proclaimed King of the Jews, He saw that as a threat to His own power and position. So He was opposed to Jesus. Both Pharisees and Herod are hard-hearted. They refuse to acknowledge the truth about Jesus no matter what the evidence is. So Jesus says, beware of their influence. Their influence would come in the form of their teachings, their attitudes, their viewpoints, their hypocrisy, their self-righteous approach to religion, 
all of those things were influential. I want you to think about this. The Pharisees were considered to be the most righteous of the Jews. Highly esteemed to the average Jew. Herod was considered the king of the Jews. In other words, Herod and the Pharisees had great influence among the average Jew. What they said carried a lot of weight. What they did carried a lot of weight. Had a lot of influence. Jesus knew that their teachings and their behaviors and their rejection of Him was highly influential. And so what He says to His disciples is, you have to avoid their influence. Matthew 23, 13 and 14. Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who are trying to enter. Jesus is talking here about the influence the Pharisees had on the average Jew. Their influence kept other people from coming to faith in Jesus. Jesus knew that their influence affected many Jews in a negative way. And He's saying to these disciples, don't allow their influence to undermine your faith in Me. Don't allow yourself to be deceived by them. Don't follow their example. Avoid them like a plague. Don't fall under their influence. In the same way, it only takes a small amount of yeast to spread throughout an entire batch of dough. It only takes a small amount of influence to do a lot of damage. Think about this. How many people's lives have been ruined because they allowed one person to convince them to experiment with drugs? They let one person talk them into doing it. And from then on, their life was a steady downhill. How many of those people are buried right out here? Just a small amount of influence can destroy a life. Just a small amount of the wrong influence can destroy somebody's faith. What is this command in verse 15 designed to do? Listen, it's designed to prevent you from ending up in the same spiritual condition as the Pharisees. Hard-hearted. Because you've allowed negative influences to undermine your faith for so long that you've grown to the place that your ears are closed to the truth. I want to mention just a few of the possible sources of negative influence. Predominantly today, probably through the media. Television, movies, internet, the things you listen to, the things you watch, what you expose yourself to through the media, whether it be oral or visual. 
public opinion, right? What society says is good and right. The views and viewpoints and perspectives of society can have a negative influence on you. Other unbelievers, the people around you that don't believe in Jesus, they can influence you. False teachers, people who call themselves Christians, but their teaching is wrong. Even people who are supposed to be preachers and teachers can actually undermine your faith by teaching falsehood. These are just a few of the influences that can have a negative effect on you. What you read, what you watch, what you listen to, the viewpoints of society, what your co-workers around you believe and talk about, false teachers. Listen, here's what I need you to see. Jesus is most concerned with your faith. More than He's concerned with your food. More than He's concerned with your physical needs. But here's the question. Why is it that followers of Jesus don't have to worry about their physical needs being met? Well, we see this in verses 16 through 21. The first thing that we noticed was Jesus' concern for your faith. What I want you to see now is Jesus' ability to provide for your needs. The disciples are having a discussion in verse 16. And the, the discussion they're having shows that they had no clue what Jesus was talking about. Jesus gives them command in verse 15 and they don't get it. They're clueless. They think Jesus is concerned because they only brought one loaf of bread. Jesus is talking about the leaven of Pharisees and Herod. They assume he's talking about bread. So they're saying, well, he's upset because we didn't bring but one loaf of bread and that's not enough to feed all of us. There were 13 of them, including Jesus. So in verses 17 and 18, Jesus talks about seeing and hearing. Right? Their perception. Perceive ye not? Having eyes do ye not see? Having ears do ye not hear? What he's talking about there is their spiritual perception. Spiritual understanding. He's saying... Are your spiritual eyes still closed? Are your spiritual ears still unable to hear and understand the truth? Verse 18, having eyes see ye not, having ears hear ye not. Don't you remember? He's quoting from Jeremiah 5.21. And in that verse in Jeremiah, God is speaking to rebellious Israel. Now hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Jesus says, do you have a hardened heart? Now, He's not comparing them to the Pharisees. They're not willfully, stubbornly rejecting the truth about Jesus. They're hardened in the sense of dull. Slow to understand. You remember in Luke 24, after Jesus rose from the dead, He appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus after He rose. One of the things Jesus said to them in verse 25 is, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. You're slow of heart to believe. They weren't willfully rejecting the truth that was obvious. They're just thick-headed. 
they don't get it. it. It still hasn't clicked with them. Slow to come to a full realization of the truth. And in verses 19 through 20, Jesus recalls to their mind the times when he fed the multitude. Do you remember he's done this twice? He said, Don't you remember when I fed 5,000 Jews with five loaves? How many baskets of leftovers did you take up? They said, Well, 12. He said, well, we just fed 4,000 Gentiles with seven loaves. How many baskets did you take up? They said, seven. They hadn't forgotten what Jesus had done. How could they? But somehow they still hadn't made the connection. It hadn't clicked. That's why he says, do you not yet understand? Verse 21. How is it that you still don't get it? Understand what? What is it they didn't get? They still did not understand who he was and what he was able to do. He had shown them over and over that he is the very Son of God who has the very power of God. He had just proven that he could multiply one lunch to feed 4,000 men plus women and children. Why in the world would he be concerned that they only brought one loaf of bread? He's saying to them, I just fed 4,000 people with seven biscuits and a can of sardines. Why would I be concerned that you only brought one loaf of bread? If I can feed 4,000 with seven loaves, don't you think I can feed 13 with one? Don't you get it? Don't you see? I'm not concerned about your food. I'm not at all worried about your food. I wasn't telling you avoid the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod because I was worried about you having enough bread. He's saying, I'm trying to get you to be concerned about your faith. I'm not concerned about your bread. He's trying to say to him, look, you worry about your faith. I'll take care of your needs. Isn't it clear by now that I can meet your needs? Don't you see who I am and what I'm able to do? Don't worry about your needs. You worry about your faith. Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What things? Food, clothing, the basic necessities of life. Focus on your faith. Jesus will meet your needs. Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Literally means I shall not be in want. I will have everything I need because the Lord is my shepherd. What does that mean? It means because the Lord is my shepherd, I don't have to worry about having what I need. So I focus on my faith, not my food. It would be like my daughter Christian coming to me when she was 12 years old and saying, Daddy, I'm going to go try to find a job babysitting. I need to make sure we... We have enough money to pay the bills and have enough food to eat. 
I think I'd feel. I'd be crushed. What would make her think I couldn't provide for her? Was she worried that she wouldn't have what she needed? Why would she worry about that? You know what I want to say to her in that moment? You concentrate on learning about Jesus and doing good in school. Daddy will take care of everything you need. You, you see what's going on here? Jesus hears this about bread and he's crushed. What? I'll take care of what you need. Don't you see by now that I can provide? What reason do you have to doubt that I'm going to make sure you have what you need for life? What you need to be worried about is your faith. And that brings us back to the point of the whole message. Jesus is more concerned about your faith than he is your food. I want to try to make this as practical as I can for you. Focus on your faith and trust Jesus to meet your needs. Focus on your faith and trust Jesus to meet your needs. I want to tell you what you can do practically. First, avoid any influence that undermines your faith. Avoid any influence that undermines your faith. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples to do. Stay away from the influence of these who have rejected Jesus. I want to remind you what some of those influences I mentioned earlier are. That you need to avoid any influence through the media that would undermine your faith in Christ. You need to avoid it. Anything on TV that would undermine your faith in Jesus. Anything on TV that would go against your biblical values and beliefs. Anything you see on the internet that would go against being a follower of Christ. Anything that promotes an ungodly lifestyle. Anything that promotes ungodly teachings or perspectives. Which, by the way, is almost everything on TV. Avoid it. Stay away from it. Anything that would tempt you to sin. Anything that would turn your thoughts on the world, on your flesh, and away from Christ. Avoid it. It's not just the media. It's not just television. Public opinion. How do you keep from being influenced by public opinion, by the secular media, and by secular ideas and philosophies? Don't absorb a lot of that junk. Turn off the news. Especially if it's the liberal news media. Because all you're going to hear through the liberal news media 
is a liberal spin, an anti-Christian spin on all the events of the day. All you're going to hear from them is the worldly philosophy that they're trying to promote. Listen, why would you expose yourself to that? Why would you expose yourself to that? Don't. Don't. Any source in your life that floods you with public opinion, cut it off. Unbelievers in your life. You need to have relationships with unbelievers, but you don't need to put yourself in a place to be influenced by them in a negative way. I told you last week, that we have to stop holding unbelievers at an arm's length. We need to embrace them so that we can love them, so that we can have a chance to influence them for Jesus. I don't mean you go out with them every Friday and Saturday night and get involved in their ungodly lifestyle. Are you with me? I'm not telling you to put yourself in a place to be influenced by them. I'm telling you to put yourself in a place that you can influence them not to be influenced by them. And false teachers. Unfortunately, there are some who pass themselves off as Christians, preachers, teachers, that if you listen to them, it will actually undermine your faith and not strengthen it. Listen to me. Do not watch or listen to Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley is the very well-known pastor, son of Charles Stanley, who recently died. He's the pastor of one of the largest churches in America, North Point Church, in, outside of Atlanta, Alpharetta, Georgia. If you watch and listen to Andy Stanley, here's what he will do. He will undermine your confidence in the Word of God. Why? Because he rejects the inerrancy and infallibility of the Bible. He rejects it. If you listen to him very much, he will undermine your confidence in the Word of God. Don't listen to him. And there are others you need to stay away from. Joyce Meyer. Stay away from her. Any of the health and wealth prosperity gospel preachers Jesse Duplantis, Creflo Dollar, T.D. Jakes. Most of the ones you see on TBN. Listen, if you're not sure if you ought to listen to somebody, ask me. But you can't assume just because somebody totes a Bible and calls himself a pastor or a Christian that that's a good influence. Well, you have to be sensitive to what the good influences are and what the bad influences are. Listen, and if you have any question about it, ignore it. Stay away from it. Stay away from it. But it's, it's more than just avoiding the influences that undermine your faith. I want to also suggest to you that you should, uh, you should avoid those influences that undermine your faith and you should absorb any influence that strengthens your faith. If you find it, uh, influences that strengthen your faith, you ought to soak up all of it you can. One of those is here. Church, every chance you get, you ought to be here under the preaching of God's Word. 
On Wednesday night, you ought to be here. I've been giving you some real practical stuff on Wednesday nights that can really help you. We're going to keep doing that. You ought to be here. And not only you should be here to hear me preach, you can have access to the greatest preachers in the world now through the internet. I've given you a list of some you ought to stay away from. Let me spit out a few that it do you some good to listen to. There's some that can help you. You can still listen to Adrian Rogers, who's a great preacher to listen to. John Piper is a great preacher to listen to. H.B. Charles Jr. is a great preacher to listen to. John MacArthur is a great preacher to listen to. I could go on and on. There are a lot of good... Listen, you can listen to who may be the best expositor preacher of the 20th century, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was at 30 years at the Westminster Chapel in London. He's dead now, but 12 or 1,300 of his sermons are still online when he preached from the 50s and 60s. You can still go listen to him for free. Soak up all that stuff you can get. Books. Say, well, I don't like to read. Look, you need, you need to read. You need to, you need to learn to read 15 minutes. Besides just your Bible, I'm, you ought to read your Bible every day. But I'm talking about you ought to learn to read some good books outside of the Bible. Can I tell you one of the things that will help you as much as anything else in your spiritual walk outside of your own Bible study and prayer? Read some of the biographies of great Christians of the past. I can recommend some to you. Read a good Christian book like J.I. Packer's Knowing God. A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God. 15 minutes a day. Four days a week, you'll get through one of these books in no time. Read good books. Put down the Facebook or do like me, just turn it off all to get slammed off of it. Read good books. And look, Christian friends, spend time with Christian family and friends. I need to stop. How do you focus on your faith? Well, you do what Jesus says in this passage. You avoid any influence that would undermine your faith in Jesus. And you absorb any influence that would strengthen your faith in Jesus. Listen, it all comes down to this. Jesus is more concerned about your faith than He is your food, and you should be too. Let's pray.